0: Tonight on The Readout. I know I must be incredibly racist if I just want
1: someone who knows how to fly the damn plane. Not someone who got in because they checked a couple boxes and maybe there's a big boy in the room to teach them how to do it in case something goes wrong.
0: Uh-huh. Super genius, Donald Trump Jr. with the Republicans' latest racist talking points about how diversity, equity, and inclusion is going to get us all killed on airplanes. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the real danger was critical race theory. So hard to keep up. Also tonight, the shocking audio recording of Trump ally Roger Stone calling for the assassination of two prominent Democrats. Plus, my conversation with Charlemagne the God on why the mainstream media is so obsessed with him. And why President Biden is struggling with black voters. But we begin tonight three days before the Iowa caucuses. Now, in normal times, I will be telling you to keep a close eye on Iowa and then New Hampshire, because that is the usual, like, start to the election season. But these are not normal times. Sorry, Iowa. Sorry, New Hampshire. Because not only are those two states no longer the starting gun for Democrats who shifted them out for South Carolina, the truth is none of this normal political calendaring actually counts in either party this year the way it has in the past. On the Democratic side, sure, there's a nominal challenger to the incumbent sitting president of the United States, Joe Biden. But is there really? And on the Republican side, while there are technically five remaining Republicans vying to be the party's presidential nominee— None of the ones not named Trump are genuinely running against him, and none of them are going to beat him. The contest is pretty much set, right? For better or for worse, it will almost certainly be a Biden-Trump rematch on the November ballot. And if you are a Republican voter, you should be warned that your likely nominee isn't super focused right now on Iowa or New Hampshire either. He's focused on criminal and civil court Donald Trump's principal purpose in life, his entire focus right now, is not to becoming the leader of the free world or making America great again or whatever other BS he tells his MAGA fans at his rallies or on his pretend Twitter. It is staying out of prison. That is the purpose of his politics right now. That is the end goal. Sorry if you thought it was making your lives better or safer or more prosperous. I mean, that is what he wants for himself, for sure along with making sure he can sleep soundly at night without the fear of hearing the clink of a cell door closing behind him. By now, we know how Trump reacts to adversity. Former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney shared in her recent memoir how then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy told her the reason he ran down to Mar-a-Lago for that secret rendezvous three weeks after Trump left office was because Trump was really depressed about losing the election and was not eating. When the pandemic hit, he freaked out and lied about whether it was airborne and said the states were on their own and and no one should wear a mask. And he let a million people die because he just literally couldn't handle the crisis. This is a man who simply cannot handle adversity. He's a spoiled kid who was never told no and he just doesn't have the range. And so now that he has to face the legal consequences of his own criminal, venal actions, including sneaking classified documents home and lying about the value of his properties and lying to his gullible supporters because he was too embarrassed to admit he lost the election to sexual abuse and defamation and paying off a porn star, 92 counts worth. He has his sights focused on the courts and how he can manipulate the legal system, just like he's manipulated the electoral system so that he can survive. Becoming a dictator is his last long con, the only way he stays out of prison and keeps from going broke. But lucky for Trump, manipulating the legal system is something he has a lifetime of experience doing. As Politico points out, he has mastered the ability to grind down the legal system to his advantage, and now to his political advantage. Quote, He has routinely turned what's obviously peril into what's actively fuel, effectively fuel, taking long rosters of losses and willing them into something like wins. If not in a court of law, then in that of public opinion. It has worked and it continues to work. Trump, after all, was at one of his weakest points politically until the first of his four arraignments last spring. Ever since, his legal jeopardy and his political viability have done little but go up together. Deny, delay, and attack. Always play the victim. Never stop undermining the system. He's not fighting the system. It seems sometimes so much as he's using it. He's fundraising off of it. He's consolidating support because of it. Joining me now is Cornell Belcher, Democratic pollster and strategist and MSNBC political analyst. Kimberly Atkins-Store, Boston Globe columnist, MSNBC political analyst, and co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast, and George Conway, conservative attorney and contributing writer for The Atlantic. Thank you all um, for being here. So, I mean, the, the point being, uh, Cornell, that, you know, Donald Trump should be worried about, you know, going to jail. I mean, he's worried about going to jail. I think that's all he really cares about, honestly, worried about going to jail. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about the politics because, as just to quote a couple people Amanda Carpenter of Project Democracy, Trump has figured out that outlets won't cover his campaign rallies, but they will cover. Him being in court, so campaign rallies are out, court rants in. Hogan Gidley, who works for Trump, former administration official. If Donald Trump were in Ankeny, Iowa, this week, he'd be he'd suck all the, option out of the oxygen out of the state and the race. But he has to go into court. He still sucks all the oxygen out of the race and out of the Iowa, right? So, Iowa. I mean, sorry, Iowa and Hampshire, but they don't matter because Trump doesn't care. All he cares about is going. Well, to, going a
2: to a jail. certain extent, he's already run, running a national campaign, and he's running a national campaign from the courts. Uh, which is which is remarkable, but he's actually skipping Iowa and New Hampshire, the first states, because he's actually moved on to running a national campaign and he's running it from the states, and he's not losing a, a bit of support because of it. And what's fascinating to me is is when you watch focus groups and listen to Trump supporters say he's being indicted for us, right? It is it's it's look whether it be Bush, Obama, Carter, Clinton his level of support is just different, right? There is something different about his level his level of support. It is it is not classically grounded in policy or even ideology because right. he's certainly not a conservative. No. Yeah. Uh, so it's it is different, but he is actually running his campaign now not from Iowa and New Hampshire for the first days, but from the courts and he's running a national campaign.
0: Right. I mean George, I mean you are a conservative. So let me turn to you on yeah. this. I mean the reality is you know, Donald Trump is not a politician. He's just a stand-in for people who are mad at the world, right? right. And he somehow managed to convince them that his personal legal peril—he stole those classified documents. He sexually abused E. Jean Carroll. He is the one who lied about the election and got people to commit crimes because they're stupid enough to do it. He did it, but they somehow he somehow managed to convince all of these millions of people that those are things that are their real problem.
1: Right. I mean, it's a cult. That's what it comes down to. The <laughs> Republican Party has beyond, has gone beyond the realm of reason. Reason, facts, none of that matters to the base of the Republican Party. It's just, it's just a giant fantasy where Donald Trump is competent and, and, and a good person and innocent and picked upon and godly. by everybody else. God. And godly. Mm-hmm. Don't forget. That's if right. If not God himself. That's right. And, oh, right. Absolutely. And anything that contradicts that view, no matter how factual it is, no matter if it's an indictment, no matter if you hear it on
0: tape, you just change the channel. But what do they get? I mean, can you get into the mind that, what do they well, get? That's
1: what of? I've been trying to get into mind. I mean, the, what I think it's some kind of of narcissistic desire to be something other than what people are. That people feel they, they feel put upon because they feel inadequate. He makes them feel like he's part of something bigger. And he sucks them all in. And then when somebody challenges that, they get very, very defensive because they, you know, deep down, part of them really knows that, that they've been fooled or they're being conned and they yeah. can't admit that, which makes them dig even deeper and turn out facts and reality even more. And I, that's the stage we've reached where yeah. a large section of the Republican base
0: and Kimberly. I mean, at the same time, so you've got judges who are trying to, and lawyers and people who are in the system and that trying to maintain a dignified judicial system with Donald Trump throwing bombs into it at the same time. So there's a, this is a letter from E. Jean Carroll's lawyer. She's already beat him on whether or not he defamed her and whether or not he sexually abused her. He went back in for more, and she's coming back in for more money. This is what the letter from E. Jean Carroll's attorney warning about, warning the judge about Trump. There are any number of reasons why Mr. Trump might perceive a personal or political benefit from intentionally turning this trial into a circus. If Mr. Trump appears at this trial, whether as a witness or otherwise, his recent statements and behavior strongly suggest he will seek to sow chaos. Indeed, he may well perceive a benefit in seeking to poison these proceedings. This court should make clear from the outset that Mr. Trump is forbidden from engaging in such antics and will suffer consequence if he does so. He can go in and abuse this judge, this woman again, Because this is all that matters to him right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's all about polarization and grievance for Donald Trump. And he has not been held accountable for anything that he has done up until this point. And so now he's fighting the institutions that are trying to hold him accountable. It's courts, that's uh, just the very electoral process itself, people in Congress who speak out against him, all of those institutions. So now, to follow him in the way you're talking about, you also have to be against these institutions. But what I'm really afraid of is that it goes beyond Trump's core that you were talking about. There are people who are Republicans who say they don't want to vote for Trump, who say they think all of these trials are nonsense, that they're politically motivated. they to take him out that of the they're way. just trying to take him out i'm worried that in the, there might be independents that feel that, w- that way too he's flooding the zone so much with nonsense and misinformation that it's very difficult for people if you're not an attorney and you're not following everything very closely to understand what's going on and that can seem appealing to people and if the election is close that's all it's going to need yeah. in order for him to be successful To what extent is that happening
2: I think it's happening a great deal. And what you're seeing in the data now is, is so, it, campaigns now are different from what they were a decade ago or two decades ago. It's harder to break through. It's harder to break through because of the, because of all the noise and the social media noise. And you're, what you're finding is, and I know you're going to talk about African American voters later, but what you're finding is that, that African American voters, particularly younger voters and Hispanic voters, they're tuning out Washington. Right. Because because it's it's all dysfunctional it's not working, by the way. Republicans do that on purpose. So they tune out Washington. And then how do you reach them? Yeah. Right. There's thousands of ways to try to reach them through media, through, through 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 social media. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult to break through. One last quick point on, I think, what what Trump also is showing is. Is there, there is two different justice systems in America. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, you look at what's happening, Joy, and it's hard to imagine that Barack Obama's black butt wouldn't be in jail by now under if, jail. if this was—under if under the jail, if this was going. So I think there's also—we've got to be real clear about this. He's manipulating the system, but he's also manipulating a system that is— That That is is a double standard.
0: But he's done it all his life. I mean, this is a guy whose dad didn't pay taxes. He doesn't pay taxes. He breaks the rules and gets away with it. He is like a spoiled kid. He's never been told no. He doesn't even know how to understand, I lost an election. He's literally upended the entirety of American politics because he felt embarrassed. That's literally why we're here now. And the thing is, I, it's not clear how to get out of it. Let me just play uh, John, C- uh, C- Chris Sununu. Chris Sununu is supposed to be one of the normies. He's supposed to be a normal Republican. This is how committed Republicans are to him, even if he is a convicted felon. Here's Sununu. Even if he's a convicted felon, if he is the Republican nominee— does that mean
4: you're still going to vote for him?
1: Look, I think right now, most of America, it looks like they would they would vote for him because he's winning, he's busy Biden is so bad that Trump is actually beating Biden in most polls. But what about okay, you, Okay, so Governor? most of America is right there. Yeah, I'm going to support the Republican nominee, absolutely. Yeah, like, that shouldn't shock anybody.
0: That smile is just the evaporation of one's dignity as one's soul goes into the ether. It's just what almost the hell?
1: too much. I mean, this man, Chris Sinuno, spoke at the gridiron dinner, I guess, what, 12 or 18 months ago, and he made jokes about Donald Trump's mental state. He said about he Donald Trump, he said, I don't think he's so crazy that you could get him committed into a mental institution. But if he were there, I don't think he'd get out. And and everybody laughed because it's true. They know he knows all these people know. They all know that Donald Trump is a narcissistic psychopath and that he is deranged and that he is, you know, he, he is not fit You wouldn't trust him to run an ice cream stand. Right. But but Chris Sununu wants to preserve is viability in the Republican right. party. That's what they want to do. The only only a few people have decided it's just not worth the game, isn't worth the candle.
0: Yeah, and I mean the the, the reality is a lot of these people are lawyers. They know he did it. Yeah. They know he's not winning. It. I mean, he just lost again. What does he have to pay the New York Times for nearly 400 grand legal costs for a dismissed lawsuit. Like he keeps losing actually the actual court cases. And so they know that he's a loser politically. They know he's losing in court. He's probably going to I mean, he's already lost the civil liability case in New York. He's already lost the case. Right. But and and yet you're seeing attorneys be clown themselves and pretend people like that guy pretend that he's an innocent man.
3: Right. Or even his own attorney in court who essentially made the argument that he can assassinate his political rivals but can't be held accountable. I'm still not over that. That's where we are at this point. I mean, I think if I as a litigator made that made that argument, I could expect to be sanctioned or something. It's yeah. that crazy. Yeah. But that's where we are now. That is his closing argument in winning, uh, trying to win the presidency, and
0: his, the people supporting him are going right along with well, it. Well, this distinguished panel is sticking with, uh, sticking with us, uh, because we're going to discuss the bombshell release of an audio recording on the other side of this break, of one Roger Stone, speaking of undignified people, discussing the assassination of Democratic members of Congress, seriously, with a former member you can't make it up, of the NYPD. The readout continues after this. Late today, Mediaite released stunning and disturbing new audio of Trump associate Roger Stone discussing the assassination of Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler with an NYPD cop, Weeks. Before the 2020
1: election, go find Strawell and get this over with. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. Strawell or has to before the election. They need to get the message. not putting up
0: I will note that NBC News has not authenticated or obtained the audio ourselves, and Mediaite notes that the audio has been lightly edited to protect their source who requested anonymity out of fear of repercussions from Stone. Stone has denied making these comments and told media before they published the audio that it was, quote, total nonsense. I've never said anything of the kind. More AI manipulation. Back with me are Cornell Belcher, Kimberly Atkins Store, and George Conway. I-, I mean, I throw it out to the group. We are at the political assassinations uh, phase of this Hideous video game that we're trapped in, apparently. And I can't believe that I have now talked about political assassination twice in one bloody week.
3: Well, that is part of the case that needs to be made about Donald Trump. Is you, we say, okay, well, democracy held during the first Trump administration. It was in part because there were at least some guardrails in place. Like there were lines that even Bill Barr wouldn't cross, right? Well, now he is totally surrounded by people like Roger Stone, people who will not be a guardrail, people like his. attorneys. And that is what is so incredibly dangerous about this. Another term is not just him hypothesizing about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. That was sort of like, everyone's like, oh, he's joking. No, another term is him full of grievance. He said what he wants to do. He wants to purge the federal government of anybody except those who are loyal to him. He wants to use, weaponize the DOJ. We know what he wants to do because whatever he accuses Joe Biden of doing what is he what he actually do. wants to do. The the vision of what the United States will be under a second Trump term without guardrails is yeah. truly frightening. And that is the number
0: one case that Democrats need to and make. And let's, let's not forget that Mark Esper has said that he did want him to shoot people At protests. Let's talk about Roger Stone for a moment. Roger Stone is the guy who, in the summer of 2020, looked at the polls, saw that his guy was losing, that Donald Trump was losing, and said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to declare victory and say we won anyway. So this is the guy who was in on the idea beforehand that they were just going to lie because they knew they were going to lose. Now you've got him talking with a cop, a former cop, about killing two Democratic representatives. Will there be any fallout from that?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you can do to Roger Stone. I mean, if he's just talking about it, I don't know that it suffices for a conspiracy or anything. You need an agreement to, to put somebody in jail. But it just goes to show, I mean, if this is real, I mean, it, it, the fact that we can even think it's real tells you a lot about the people who surround Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump himself is a man without any moral compass. He's a man without conscience. He's a man without remorse. He's a, a man without empathy. And the only thing that he cares about is himself. And he surrounded himself with people, an increasing number of people who also lack moral compasses, and that's the point that, that you're very much, absolutely right making. And that this is the reason why it's going to be much, much worse, and 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 so dangerous to the republic. I mean, this is a man who's already talked about suspending the constitution. It's a man who tried to stop the peaceful transition of power. It's a man who would stop at nothing. To to wreak revenge on his perceived enemies, the only
0: criteria is can I get away with it? And, it's, and again, it is a long con, right? Being right. president was a great money maker for him for his businesses that were some of which were failing otherwise. Uh, it's a way for him to stay out of prison because he'll just cancel all the cases against him, throw everyone he doesn't want in jail. But again. We, to this week, were talking about his lawyer going into a federal court and saying that Donald Trump, a president of the United States, a president, I guess he doesn't think Joe Biden should be able to, uh, should be able to assassinate their political opponents. Now you've got his buddy allegedly saying that you, he wants to assassinate members of Congress. And again, Mark Esper, his former defense secretary, said he wanted him to shoot people and Esper wouldn't it, do it. It's, it's, it's thug. It's thug behavior. It's thuggery. And, 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 but here's
2: here's what I want to say sort of in the political context of it all is go back to 2004 and when I was doing polling for the DNC one of the things that was a bedrock of a of, of Republican party and something that, they, that helped them win the suburbs and especially moderate middle, middle America was this ideal that it were they were a party of strong values mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they were a party of of, of 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 strong morals and values and even if Democrats had advantage on education sure. and and issues of health care that the central value that 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 middle Americas clang to was this ideal that they were strong that, that strong values and, and George Bush was a good man he's a strong man, man of values. He goes to church, right? He loves his wife. Right. Those things. I find it hard to believe, and it's not the one thing, Joey. I think it is, it is, as the old folks would say, it's, it's a tide. It's mm-hmm. a damnable tide mm-hmm. of these things that I think, if you put this case before moderate middle America, and I still do have faith in democracy. I still have faith in the majority of American people. If you put this to that, that suburban mom in Wisconsin, that suburban mom in and outside of outside of Atlanta, and and look at this, and she's going to say these are not good people. These are not the values that I want to instill in, in my children and and my and my family. And I think that bedrock of voters are going to continue to slowly move toward. Uh, Biden and the Democrats because the Republicans have lost it.
0: The thing is, it, this, you know, we were going to talk a lot, a lot about Bill Ackman today. We didn't get into him as much. And this is the whiny, uh, you know, big time Harvard donor who's apparently now it turns out really mad because uh, Claudine Gay wouldn't call him back and do what he told her to do and take his advice. And he's angry because, you know, he tried to take her down for plagiarism. But then his wife turns out she was plagiarizing Wikipedia. Allegedly, he claims she did not. He denies it. But I mean, it is a sort of party it, that that ethos. Of rich and whiny, rich and, uh, and entitled, rich and aggrieved and saying, I have the money, but I don't have the respect that I'm due. I'm not getting the respect I deserve. And, they, and I think Republicans believe that regular people will relate to the rich, whiny people who are mad because a black person got a job.
3: Well, it, they're treating they're treating democracy like a zero sum game, or the American dream as a zero sum game, and that's part of Trumpism. That's a core part of Trumpism. They're getting this, and they're taking it away from you. The immigrants are coming here, and they're taking away your safety, your jobs, your this. Black people are getting jobs that they don't deserve. That you ought to, you know. And this is what you rail against. It's just like even um, in, during Obamacare, people even who would benefit from getting Obamacare still yeah. opposed it because they didn't want people who weren't them to get this care. Yeah. It's Fueling this idea that, uh, you know, I mean, we've all, you know, we've we've experienced that. I remember after uh, Jason Blair, the journalist who plagiarized all of my work as a journalist, a young journalist, got scrutinized, extra scrutinized. People asked why I got a job and somebody else didn't. This is what they want. They want to fuel that grievance in order to get ahead. And it doesn't matter that there are millionaires and billionaires are the ones that
0: are so aggrieved and trying to get other people. And are the ones that are perverted the system for themselves to lead us right back to where we started. They're the ones who don't go to jail when they commit crimes. They're the ones who, buy their way, out of trouble and regular people cannot. And it's so odd to me that they would relate to them and not to their fellow regular folks. But we'll see what happens. Our panelists will be back in a little bit because they're going to tell us who won the week. But first, a multinational coalition strikes Houthi targets in Yemen. But questions remain like why was this necessary? And what did it accomplish? We'll be right back. Ever since the war in Gaza began, the Middle East has been a tinderbox. For weeks, tensions in the region have been building, stoking fears of a wider conflict. We've seen the Lebanese-based Shiite militant group Hezbollah exchange fire with Israel, with whom it's had a long military conflict since effectively ending Israel's 18-year occupation of part of that country in the year 2000. While the Houthis, another Shiite, Iran-backed militant group, which controls parts of Yemen following a long and bloody civil war— have carried out more than two dozen attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, which they claim they're doing to punish Israel's Western allies in protest of Israel's military operation in Gaza. Well, yesterday we saw a dramatic escalation as the U.S. and the U.K. launched military strikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen in response to that Red Sea blockade. Now, the Houthis are vowing to retaliate. A lot of Americans have probably never heard of these groups. They just sound like a bunch of amorphous entities whose names start with H. But if our government is going to drop bombs on folks, maybe we as citizens should understand why. Why are we bombing these people? Who are they exactly? And why do they have an issue with us? Here to help answer those questions is Brian Katulis, senior fellow and vice president of policy at the Middle East Institute. All right. Who are the Houthis?
5: The Houthis are a group that uh, basically sprung up in the 1990s in opposition to the former president. And they were part of a political process in the early 2010s, but they have a lot of arms. And they did the sort of thing, if you remember January 6th over here, Mm -hmm. they sort of just took over in 2015. And for almost the past decade or so, they took over key parts of Yemen. But there's been this complicated civil war, multiple civil wars inside of there. But they're, they're pretty extremists. I've met some of their leaders before, yeah, yeah. and they're not the kind of people you'd want to have a beer with, and not because they don't drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, they, they have these, a slogan is death to America, death to Israel, uh, curse to the Jews. Yeah. And they really have this anti-imperial, anti-Western. But also uh, in the Middle East, and I go to the Middle East quite a lot for mm-hmm. my job, they're they're against sort of the sense of stability in the region. That's why they're attacking a lot of these uh, uh, ships that are going through the Red yeah. Sea. Yeah. And basically, the Red Sea has been shut down for commercial shipping. That's going to lead to knock-on effects, inflation back here and other yeah. places, if it continues. So we're hitting them in part because they've posed a threat not just to the, their their own people, we could talk but about an that, economic but, threat. Yeah, but also to the region as well. Yeah.
0: And I don't know if we can put them on a map just so people can see. I mean, basically, Yemen is at the bottom of, of, uh, of, the Arabi- Saudi, of Saudi Arabia, right? Yes. It's right below Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And they don't particularly like the Saudis too much either, right? Because the Saudis uh, supported their opposition in the civil war.
5: Well, in part, the Saudis also were targeted by missiles and drones from the Houthis. Now, what's interesting is two, three years ago when President Biden came into office, the the Saudis weren't happy that President Biden delisted the Houthis as a terrorist organization. Now, the Saudis have a a peace process going on with them, and they're they're not part of this coalition, which is interesting as well. It was the United States and Britain that dropped these bombs last night, about 150 bombs on 30 different sites across Yemen. But nominally, the Saudis and many of the countries in the Middle East aren't part of this because they're, they're trying to keep things sort of quiet on their peace process.
0: It's very interesting because at one point there was this peace process that was supposed to involve the Saudis, like normalization with Israel. Yeah, but yeah. now I noted, then noticed the other day, that the Saudi Arabia signed on, in a sense, with South Africa's Genocide claims. Right. And now they're taking that side, they, and it is interesting that it was an African nation that launched it—South so- uh, Africa. Yeah, the Saudis and the Turks are with them. Right, um, and of course, it's Germany, Canada, the United States, etc., that are with Israel. What have you made of this trial that is taking place it's, right now? It's
5: both important, but also kind of a sideshow. I used to live in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and mm-hmm. it's important because it's uh, it's. Put in front and center the the plight of innocent Palestinian civilians. Um, But it's kind of a sideshow because I don't think it's going to produce results that actually end the conflict. Uh, We all want to see a ceasefire or an end to the conflict. Yeah. But these sorts of things, as we've seen when uh, claims were made against Ru- uh, Russia uh, on Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, they don't produce an end to the conflict. So I, I think it's important for people to debate these things. Mm-hmm. It's a bit academic, uh, at me as someone who looks at what will give practical results on the ground. And the only thing that will do that are th- measures that impre- improve the security of both Palestinians and Israelis. And this sort of uh, effort, I don't think, will produce the, the, tr- the trust and confidence. Well, let,
0: let me test this against your knowledge, sure. your, your extreme knowledge. Uh, yeah. The thing that I have sort of noticed in reading, particularly like African media, et cetera, is that what's happened between the Houthis, um, in some sense Hezbollah a little bit, but really more the Houthis, what they're doing in the blockade yeah. and what South Africa is doing at the International Criminal Court is is sort of causing the global south to look at them as the people who are authentically standing for Palestinians. And they are looking at the West in much more sort of you're not with us, you're an enemy kind of terms, right? There's, there's a sliding away from the West and looking more toward these groups, right. that, these militant groups that feel like they're standing up for Palestine. Right, Joy,
5: and that's a really important observation because I would add to that list countries like China.
0: Yes. And China
5: yes. at the UN and in these forums, and I wouldn't be surprised when you look at the propaganda and the recent news that China's actually ba- backing not, not only anti-Israel, but yes. anti-Semitic yeah. propaganda. And Russia too. And, and Russia as well. It's part of this complicated new geopolitics. Yes. So oftentimes when we see things like this, people with good faith views that they think they want to protect civilians in in Gaza. But sometimes there are other forces that are just trying to undercut American or European or Israel's view, and it's a clash of different ideologies. Yeah, and quite often some of those clashes are, are being conducted by those who are behind the scenes it, like it is China.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the bigger picture is something people lose uh, sight of. Brian Catullus, thank you very much. Great, right. thank you. Uh, coming up, I spoke with Leonard with McKelvey, aka Charlemagne the God, and Angela Rye about the Biden campaign's efforts to rebuild the diverse coalition of voters that helped him win in the twenty twenty election, and their insightful new podcast, Native Land Pod. That fascinating conversation is next. The Democratic Party is a diverse coalition of voters, with a large part of that coalition being black voters. If President Biden wants to win re-election, he has to make sure that every member of that coalition feels motivated to get out and vote. And right now, 10 months out from November, there's a lot of talk about how fragile the Biden base seems to be. Charlemagne the God is the host of the popular morning show The Breakfast Club. His popularity with the youngins has put him in a unique position to impact the world of politics. He has praised and criticized both Donald Trump and President Biden and interviewed politicians from Biden to Obama. And his sometimes contrarian views have brought him significant media attention, including this recent profile in Politico, which talked to him about the frustration some African-American voters, mainly black men, are expressing about the Biden administration. Biden's deputy campaign manager, Quentin Fulks, who ran Senator Raphael Warnock's second senatorial campaign, recently addressed those concerns.
4: I know that it's not possible for a Democrat to be elected president of the United States without winning the African-American vote. And therefore, our focus is going to be on making sure that we have those voters, that they know that we want to continue to earn their continued support or work to earn their continued support. Um, And so that's where our focus is. But look, we've come out of the gate swinging. The other notion that I don't like when it comes to the African-American community is that it's black men versus uh, black women. Um, And I'm also not going to let that take hold in this campaign.
0: Charlemagne's new venture with politics and culture analyst, political strategist, and my friend Angela Rye, and friend of the show, is aiming to give voice to the rising majority in America, which is who Biden needs to listen to if he needs to, if he wants to win. Their new podcast, Native Land Pod, launched this week on iHeart Podcasts and Reasoned Choice Media, which was co-founded by Charlemagne, Angela, and Angela Rye, is the co-host. I recently spoke to both of them, and I began by asking Charlemagne why the mainstream media and particularly Fox seems to be so obsessed with him these days.
4: I know what they're doing. They're using me and the things that I say about President Biden and the administration to say, "See, look, black people are totally, you know, fed up with Biden and his administration." I don't speak for all black people. Black people are not monolithic. My name is Leonard McKelvey. They call me <laughs> Charlemagne <laughs> God from Mountaineer, South Carolina. I speak for me and my perspective. Yeah. Perspective.
0: Who is your audience? So tell me the demo of your audience. Who are they?
4: I mean, it varies, right? Because I'm 45 years old now, so you know, we've been number one, 18 to 34, the last few months, but we've also been in number two. Twenty-five to 54. Yeah. So I think my audience is just a diverse group of people like, you know, black, white, brown. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it's just uh, the youth like like some people may think.
0: But, you know, Angela, I mean, there is this whole conversation about our black people pulling away from the Democratic Party. I mean, the numbers don't necessarily show it. Let's just put these numbers up. This is ages 18 to 34 overall, Biden not doing so well. He's in the low 40s. Trump's at 46. Black voters, it's still sixty-nine I'm not even sure these numbers are accurate this far out from an election. Women voters of color, which is a mix, not just black voters. You can see the numbers there. Two-thirds pretty much still support Democrats. Um, Kamala Harris, more popular, obviously, with black voters than she is with voters overall. Do you, as a political strategist, you've been in this business, you've been in the political game. Are these numbers meaningful or is there a genuine problem that Democrats have with black voters and Biden specifically?
6: Well, here's what I want to say to you, Joy. Um, and you know this, too, because you've also been not just in the business, but in the business of serving the culture for so long. I have been in meeting after meeting both on the Hill and off the Hill with the party Mm -hmm. about their failure to reach their base, their most faithful base for years. This is not new information. I don't know why we're surprised. I don't know why folks are, they said, I'm not holding them accountable on segments with them and all of that. Lenard is not saying anything different than what I've heard members, including the past chairs of the congressional black caucus say to the party. They're saying you're not investing enough in our community. Find the lie. Jamie Harrison will tell you that that is indeed the case, that they are working on it to change it. So why are we upset when people are pointing out the facts? The facts are enough black consultants aren't hired. Tell me five black pollsters you have. You can't because you have not created that bench. Tell me the black candidates that you have. You've been forced to ensure that that bench is growing by the congressional black caucus. You tell me the number of consultants you hire. Tell me with a fact, with a straight face that white boys don't run the democratic party. Mm. And I'll call you a lie all day long. Now that does not mean that we should go and support a fascist. I don't like think that either what, of us are saying that.
4: That's what mainstream media never reports me saying, because right. I'm never saying, I, I, I may talk about uh, Joe Biden his shortcomings, but I also say Donald Trump is the end of democracy as we know it. Yeah. And we've seen it. Like, you know, he attempted a coup of this country yeah. to overturn, you know, the vote. Vo- the vote. So right. it's like we see. And the vote of people who
0: look like us. That's right. That's so exactly. we, can see, we
4: see what he's capable of.
0: Yeah. And the question, though, I think, and you do radio, and I, I do love radio, I do miss radio, because you get to talk to people. Yeah. You get to talk Every to actual people that's and callers. Right. So when people are calling you, and specifically black people, what are they saying they feel they have not gotten out of having voted consistently for Democrats and for Joe
4: Biden? Open mobility. Simple as that. Like people want security. And a lot of that security is financial. Like it's it's, it's simple and plain. And it's, it's been whether it was President Obama, whether it was, you know, all the way back to Clinton to now Joe Biden. They feel like the Democratic Party have, has never promised that. And it's like right now, the problem I'm having with my listeners, what am I supposed to tell them? Like, right. what am I supposed to tell them other than, look, man, Donald Trump is the fascist. You may think things can't get... Worse, but they absolutely positive, yeah, they positively positively yeah. can. But if they feel like I've already lived through a, a, a Trump presidency, yeah. I I lived through Reagan. How much worse can that get? Like Riot. it's like, what do I tell them? They're not they're not afraid of just telling them to go out and vote because you know because uh, of fear anymore.
0: And you know the thing is, we saw and you know you're not supposed to stand up and shout out in church, but we all watched what happened inside Mother Emanuel. And this was not black people standing up. This was non-black folks, but they were very passionate about Gaza. And you saw a black woman like defend Joe Biden. But that's the base that's going to vote for him, right? Yeah, that's so God, the base that, that got won that him, got the, him <laughs> the 2020 in the election. Yeah. So when you're thinking about things like—we we both talked about the sexy red thing mm-hmm. offline. that You know, people are like, I got a stimmy with Donald Trump's name on it, so sure. I know I got it. Mm-hmm. When Biden sent me a stimmy I don't remember it. Yes. On Gaza, it's a complicated thing yes. because Black folks see those Palestinians and they see themselves. Yes. So with all of these issues, do you feel that the administration— do they do they seem to understand that they do have a problem, particularly with younger black voters on economics on Gaza? Here's I think that this is a
6: complicated Issue and the reason for that is you know just as well as I we have friends who work in this administration we have some friends who are who have been in there fighting tooth and nail to ensure the administration doesn't just see it but addresses it right the problem that we have I think part of what Lenard is addressing is when a foreign country needs aid this the United States acts and promptly and they right. will figure out a way to answer the call even without an act of Congress yeah when it comes time for black people to need aid even a reparations discussion people are like wait reparations right. who? where why right. right and that is. Really- the problem we have to a people who are dying literally to feel heard to feel embraced to feel supported to feel sacrificed for as much as we sacrifice at the ballot even through voter suppression even through a pandemic yeah through all of that and that's the thing so once just meet us halfway yeah. i think is the real okay clear. very quick
0: before we go we're out of time but let me play a clip can i play a clip play the clip play the clip
6: it's nice to have a space a safe space as you talked about in in the oath um where we can speak truthfully and i think this is a podcast for everyone if you have intellectual curiosity about your fellow countrymen who don't look like you this is a place where you can come and hear that
0: very quickly, that name and that voice should sound familiar. Yeah. Tiffany, Cross. Girl, Tiffany, Tiffany Cross! Cross. Yeah. Yeah. Tiffany Cross! Tiffany Cross! Tiffany Cross! quickly tell
6: us about Native Land Pod. Native Land Pod is a project from Reason Choice Media, which we co-created with our good friend Chris Morrow. That's right. Native Lampod first episode dropped today. Yes. People are loving it. It's me, Andrew Gillum, and Tiffany Cross. I love our
4: radio. A long time yes. business partners. Enjoy. Thank you. Listen, I you, uh, you something else. You <laughs>
0: are- I'm going to support my friends, and I, I love it. it we love so excited about Native Lampod. I will be listening, uh, Charlemagne the God, Angela Rye. Thank you both very much. Top three downloads on Apple. Top three. Up next, every week needs a winner. Our panelists, Cornell, Kimberly, and George. They come on back with their picks for who won the week. After this quick break, stay with us. Top three. All right, everyone, we made it to the end of another week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes, who won the week? Back with me are Cornell Belcher, Kimberly Atkins Store, and George Conway. Where to go, where to go, where to go? I'm going to go to my right. Cornell, who won the week?
2: Hunter Biden won the week. He, he went into the lions that House Republicans have been calling him out, calling him out. So he's. Called up their BS and showed up at their committee hitting. And you know what happened? They lost their minds. (laughs) They were not prepared for him to show up and actually sit there and be ready to take their questions because they don't want actually an open, fair conversation with Hunter Biden. He won the week when he showed up and called their
0: BS. but fair. That's a good answer. Thank you. Uh, that's a quality answer, uh, Kimberly. Uh, how do you beat that? Who won the week? Well, very relatedly, I think the
3: uh, gentle lady from Texas, Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett, won the week when she not, uh, during that hearing, schooled uh, not only Republicans about what prive- what white privilege is and is not, but gave a constitutional lesson yeah. that uh, any law school would have been pri- I, I did, I, That was a better lesson than I got <laughs> when I
0: went to law school in <laughs> con law class. She really delivered, so she won the yeah. week. Absolutely. All right. That was a good answer. And related. I like that there's a theme. I don't know if you're going to stick with the theme, George, but. Uh, I, another I, lawyer. Another female lawyer. Yes. All right. There you go. Who of we?
1: Um, Judge Florence Pan of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, who basically took apart Trump's lawyer. And mercilessly destroyed his argument. I'm proud to say that I I met her I first met her 30 years ago I was assigned by my law firm to recruit her okay and for the sake for the good of, good of the Republic I failed. <laughs> <laughs> It was a miserable <laughs> failure, and we're all better off for all it. She became off a federal prosecutor and then a, a DC uh, Superior Court yeah. judge, and now she's on the U.S. Court of and Appeals. And
0: she court. won the week. And she won better. All right, well, my answer for who won the week is actually a little bit of a troll. There's a certain billionaire who's extremely angry that Claudine Gay exists. Her scholarship is on firsts. So the ghost of Claudine Gay's presidency at Harvard and firsts win the week. Let me name some of them. St. Paul made history with the first all-female city council, a rarity among large US cities. Don Scott becomes the first black speaker in Virginia legislature's 400-year history. Lily Gladstone makes Golden Globes history as the first indigenous actress to win a statue for herself. There she is. First win the week. Sorry billionaires, DEI is here to stay. We love diversity, equity, inclusion and first and first won the week. Cornel Belcher, Kimberly atkins and George Conway, thank you all. You all won the week just by being here in the fabulous color scheme. We all (laughs) (laughs) met. And that is tonight's readout.